Welcome to Off the Record, a legal podcast where we listen to stories that go beyond the courtroom. This podcast is a production of the Indianapolis Bar Association. Thank you for listening. Now here's today's episode. Hello, Indianapolis legal community. This is Indy Bars Off the Record, previously hosted by the wonderful James Bell. I am your host for today's episode, and I am thrilled to have the Honorable Chief Judge Tanya Walton Pratt of the Southern District of Indiana here today. I want you all to be jealous. I get the pleasure of seeing Judge Pratt over Zoom, and she looks gorgeous as always, and it is not related to any court proceedings. So I'm honored to to have the opportunity to chat with you today. We talked a little bit before um, we started And uh, like I said, most people have heard of you and I have heard so many wonderful things about you, of course, but I've never had the opportunity to talk to you one on one. I thought this was a great time to have you on the podcast just to somewhat talk about your trajectory. I mean, you are the first African-American judge in Indiana's history. So (laughs) the female African-American judge, this is um, amazing to me. I'm glad I get the opportunity to to speak with you. Um, and I'm hoping our conversation today will encourage minority candidates who are out there looking for jobs and particularly law students who need to push through adversity and now and even in the future. So, um, of course, I looked you up on Wikipedia like most people do. <laughs> and I saw you had an interesting background and I even got to speak with you or I got to hear you speak uh, at Bench Bar. So I know a little bit about your uh, work as an attorney with your family. Um, Yeah. So I wanted you I want to give you the floor. Everybody can look you up on Wikipedia, but I want to hear in in your words kind of your career trajectory and what's what's important to you about that trajectory as well. Certainly. And uh, thank you for inviting me here today. It is an, an honor and a pleasure. And uh, I admire what you're doing also. I admire this that you're participating in this program, that you're an uh, African-American female lawyer who's practicing and doing your thing. And uh, I'm just really proud of you also. Uh, but with respect to my career tra- trajectory, uh, I'm a native of Indianapolis, was born on the east side of Indianapolis and uh, started out in Indianapolis public schools. Uh, my mother was a school teacher and my father was an attorney. Uh, and so we started out in the in the public school system, but we we're a Catholic family. So uh, I, when I was a child, I was I was I was a fighter <laughs> for some reason, uh, you know, I, and I had some disciplinary problems within my within my family. And I think it was because I was the middle child and I had this uh, sibling rivalry and I was jealous of my sister because she was the oldest. Uh, my brother was the my younger brother. My first brother was uh, the first boy. And then the my baby brother was the baby of the family. So I kind of felt uh, that I had to do things to get attention. And so because I was getting into trouble at, uh, at IPS schools, my, my family put me in Catholic school. Uh, so I was the first one to go through the Catholic school systems here in Indianapolis. And then uh, so I was at St. Joan of Arc Catholic School and then Lady was St. Agnes, which was Cathedral High School my senior year. And um, so I graduated from Cathedral High School uh, back then. And, and today also, uh, those schools were predominantly uh, white schools. And uh, so when it was time to go to college, I was really ready uh, to experience something more diverse in my in my education. And so I followed in the 
tradition of my family. Uh, my mother was a graduate of Spelman, my dad of Morehouse College, and that's where they met. My mother's from Atlanta. My dad was from here in Indy. So I uh, followed in their footsteps. My sister was already at Spelman College. And so I went to Spelman College and had this wonderful, wonderful liberal arts education, which was just fabulous to be there uh, where uh, everyone looks like you, where your teachers are embrace you and care about you uh, and then you're nurtured and retention is very important. It's the goal of the professors there uh, to make sure every student graduates. And then after I finished at Spelman, uh, I was not ready to come back home to Indianapolis. So I didn't even apply to the Indiana law schools. Sounds uh, about right. <laughs> I applied to uh, Howard University and got in Howard University School of Law. And I just had a wonderful experience at, at Howard University. Uh, and, you know, I think I, I talk about it all the time. One of the best things about being there was, the, you know, I found my husband, Marcel, who is now the uh, Mayor Superior Court traffic judge. Uh, we've been married 36 years. But so I found Marcel. I went there. to the wrong HBCU, <laughs> Judge Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of them, even as family, there's lots of elements. Like me, and that's one of the <laughs> HBCU is you can find like minded, educated uh, people. Uh, and it's very a great thing to find your spouse. <laughs> I'm very pro marriage and very pro uh, having someone in your life because it mm-hmm. makes such a big difference, especially in, in the career that we've chosen. It's lawyers. We're going to talk about that later, I know, but it's really, really important that you mm-hmm. uh, have a, a, a life other than your career. But uh, so uh, Marcel and I decided to, Marcel's from Philadelphia, and rather than stay out east, we decided to come to Indiana uh, for several reasons. Uh, I think the main reason being that um, we had jobs. (laughs) here and, and we knew we wanted a family and we wanted to have a family you know the middle the midwest is a wonderful place to raise a family because the cost of living is lower uh as opposed to being in dc or philadelphia so we so we came here which was a good move and i and i like to say that i began the practice of law in the most enviable of situations i was in a law firm with my dad uh my my brother, uh, my husband, and myself. Uh, at one time, we also were in a law firm with John Moss, who's one of the greatest civil rights lawyers in the Indianapolis legal community. Mm-hmm. So I had lots of advantages uh, because I was around lawyers. And uh, uh, I was a part-time public defender in my private practice. I had like a general law practice. I did a little bankruptcy, family law, uh, um, just a probate law. And then uh, I was when I was a part time public defender, uh, Webster Brewer. This is why mentors are so very important. Webster Brewer was a judge in the Marin Superior Court. And back then he was the only African-American in the Superior Court. Um, there were some municipal court judges, Judge Baker and uh, Judge Darton wasn't on the bench yet, but there were some minis- there was a municipal and a superior division. And there were some African-Americans in the municipal division who were uh, appointed by the governor. But in the superior court where the judges were elected back then, Webb Brewer was the, was the only one at that time. Mm-hmm. And 
He had uh, offered me a position. The judges back then even hired their own public defenders. So I was a public defender in his court part time and also in my practice. But uh, his commissioner back then uh, had to go on a medical leave. I had been practicing law maybe four years. And he asked me to uh, come to his chambers to see him. And I was a nervous wreck because he was really gruff and hard on me. <laughs> He was kind to your clients, but he 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 was he was rough on lawyers. He, you know, he denied all of your continuances. Forgive <laughs> so me if he's listening. That reminds me of being in Judge Dinsmore's court. <laughs> yeah. Good guy like Very intimidating. <laughs> he was I was a nervous wreck to go see him. But what he what he wanted was to know if I would be interested in, in working as his pro tem judge for this period of time while uh, his commissioner was on sick leave. And so that was the first time that I had an opportunity to be on the other side of the bench. And it was Wet Brewer who uh, who convinced me and encouraged me to, to run for judge because back in the 80s, uh, the Superior Court judges were all elected on six-year terms, and so and in the 90s. Uh, so uh, this was in about 1996, and um, so I ran for judge, and I and I won. And I think one of the reasons that I had the confidence to put myself out there and run for judge because you're asking people to, hey, vote for me, pick me. Right. One of the reasons I had that. Um, had that uh, confidence to run for judge, I believe is because of my experiences at HBCU, where, uh, you know, we're taught from the very beginning that you are as good as anyone else, mm-hmm. uh, that you have solid education, uh, that you can be whatever you want to be. I grew up in that kind of environment. So it was uh, very rewarding uh, for me. Uh, and it helped me to be able to, uh, to to make it through the the electoral system back then. You had to go to the, uh, you had to be with your uh, precinct, go to the precinct committee people for and get them to support you. And uh, but and I had an advantage there also because my dad was very involved in democratic politics when I was growing up, and so uh, you know I knew I knew what you had to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father never got to see me become a judge because he died in 1996, right? The day after the slating convention, the day after I got slated. So he did know that I was slated to be on the ballot for a judge in November of 1996, but he never got to see me be a judge. Uh, but I was elected uh, three times in 96, in 2002, and in 2008. Um, I was on the uh, Marin Superior Court uh, criminal court one for 12 years. So that's a major felony court where, you know, I'm doing murder, child molest, robbery and rape every day. Uh, and I had in tons of trial experience. We did lots of jury trials back then. And then on my uh, after my 2008 election, I had an opportunity uh, to, to move to another court because I had seniority by then. Uh, Judge Charlie Dieter was retiring. And so um there was a, a vacancy in the uh, probate court. And so I became the probate judge in Marion County for uh, a year and a half. And I would have been uh, happy to stay there and be the probate judge for the rest of my career. Uh, but then the federal court opportunity came. So that was my- Can't pass that up. 
I think the big benefit and the lesson is, is mentors. The mentors are so very important. Uh, you know, my dad was my first mentor. Um, and then Whit Brewer was my mentor. Uh, so my first bit of advice for young lawyers, especially African-American lawyers and women lawyers, mm-hmm. are that you've got to, you've got to get a mentor. You've got to contact people and, and, and ask them to, 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 to meet with you. Uh, to mentor you and you've got to be mentors also in return. Yes. Yes. I, so the Indianapolis bar president, Jimmy McMillan is my mentor. And I mean, I would not have made it without him um, to where I am. He's probably honestly a big part of the reason why I am where I am today. I probably would have given up a long time ago if he hadn't encouraged me. And to your point, now it's my turn to give back. You know, I've got I've got enough confidence to instill that into someone else. So um, I, I completely agree with you. And and to that point as well, you know, like for me. I grew up, I wanted to be an actress. I was a drama major at Emerson. I talked about this in our first first episode. Yes. And so I just knew I was going to be famous, but apparently Holly Berry and uh, and uh, Hillary Swank and everybody else, they've stolen all my roles. Those are great actresses to me. But um, <laughs> I decided a little later in life, you know, I wasn't until college where I was really making a decision. Okay, what am I going to do with my career? Because I decided being a starving actress wasn't going to work for me. So I had to decide something else. So I I was just curious because I'm I'm a first generation college student, let alone law student. So for me, it was just a decision made on my own. But it sounds like your family, your entire family was in the into the legal community and politics your entire life. What was that like for you? And have you always wanted to be a lawyer or did you have other desires or passions? I always wanted to be a lawyer um, <laughs> because uh, because I did have the advantage of growing up around the legal profession. Uh, because when I was a child, I was a, uh, they had Saturday court, I remember, and my dad was a criminal defense lawyer, and he would take me to court with him on Saturdays. And I was a cute little girl, so the judges would ask me to allow me to sit up. <laughs> and, and I just thought it was exciting. And then and then I think my father also encouraged me because I wanted to be just like my dad. That's one of the main reasons that I decided to go to law school. I wanted to, you know, I was his girl and I wanted to be uh, a lawyer like my father. And so uh, I just always gravitated that way. And uh, and I really, you know, it's meant to be for me. It was the profession for me. I have a, my brother who's a lawyer. He really didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> was influenced by my dad because he wanted all of us to go to law school uh, but so he went he he after he graduated from Morehouse he got his law degree at McKinney and then he went uh, to Notre Dame and got a master's in fine arts because he really wanted to teach and write so that's what he's mm-hmm. doing uh, but for me it was the perfect fit uh, you know I, so it's it's just I feel like it was what I should have been and that I made the right decision in pursuing a, a career in the law. That is amazing. I wish I would have been that sure of myself. I I might be a little further ahead. I just want to keep kind of going on that track, too. For for you, in terms of always wanting to be a lawyer, is there anything you actually wanted to accomplish? Like, was there something in your mind like, I want to be X or I want to make sure I do X as a lawyer? Uh, I think one of the things that uh, I... 
I, I discovered early on that you can have such a huge impact on the lives of others, on an impact on your community uh, when you are an attorney. And uh, I find that a, a career in the law allows you to constantly learn and constantly grow. Uh, my legal career as an attorney, because I was a criminal defense, I was a public defender, I did the private practice of family law and some probate, uh, not necessarily areas of practice where you would make a lot of money, but you definitely made a difference in the lives of your clients. Uh, and so this, the current job as a federal judge is just a dream job. It, you know, it's because the case types are so very diverse and uh, you, you not only need to understand the law, but you have to continually learn about different and diverse areas of the laws. I can be working on a patent case at 9 a.m. and then 10 o'clock I have a hearing on a, a, a civil rights employment discrimination case. And then later in the afternoon, I have a sentencing on a criminal Hobbs Act robbery. So uh, all in one day. So you, you have an opportunity to, to learn constantly. And if you want a career that allows for lifelong learning, the law is definitely a good one for that. And so I always tell young lawyers that you can do so many things with your law degree. Uh, you can even be an actress with your law degree. <laughs> Certainly can. Hill Harper, I read the book and I just knew I was going to do that. <laughs> Uh, certainly can for those of you who who don't know he um was uh actually i believe he was either mentored by obama or went to school with obama in law school but he is a lawyer and he decided to give up the legal career and he went to california and waited tables for two years and got on csi for an episode ended up getting on as a recurring role and there he is um yeah, there are not too many of those Harpers of the world, but maybe, maybe that'll be in my future. <laughs> I still have a little time. Um, and so with that, with time, you've just did freshing a role. May, March 20th, 2021. It's, this is fresh for you. You've got a lot of time. I'm sure you've got uh, a lot of passion for whatever matter you're working on. Um, is there something that you want to see or accomplishing your role as a judge here. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but in just in terms of the way the law is shaping and the way that our um, our judicial system operates, is what's working, what's not? What? How do you feel about that? And what do you want to see happen? Okay, uh, for sure. I think one thing that uh, one thing that we need to do uh, as judges and in, in the judicial system is we we really want to be more efficient. I think that um, uh, it just takes so long to get your case through uh, the through the system, mm-hmm. and I know we're all behind because for the past year we've been in that pandemic and everybody's just getting their reconstitution plans together and uh, getting back to full capacity at work. But uh, we just need lots of efficiency up the, up the entire uh, court ladder. We need to use everyone in our court structures more efficiently and effectively uh, because there are cases in which the litigants can really benefit uh, when we use processes that make use of our trained non-judicial personnel for oversight and uh, management, and that we get the cases 
identified at an early point in time to get them on a better track. So case management is something that we really need to work on. Uh, we need to use make smarter use of our technology. And we, we've seen from the pandemic that uh, we can Zoom mm-hmm. instead of in person. Uh, and I think a lot of the uh, pre-trial conferences in our civil cases uh, may for the most part, continue to be done remotely. Because if you have lawyers in California and Chicago uh, and Indianapolis on a case, rather than have people take the time to travel uh, for these uh, non-dispositive type hearings that they can be conducted uh, virtually. Um, And uh, we just need to have a greater value for our court system. As as lawyers and judges, we need to uh, fight for the appropriate budgets for our courts. Uh, uh, I know one of the initiatives that we have to do, you know, we're going through the the federal system. Um, We're really trying to get uh, better security for judges and for our courthouses. So uh, they're, you know, we have to go through Congress to right. our funding, uh, but uh, security is just a really big issue right now. And, so, and because we want our judges and our staff and the people that visit the courthouses to be safe, you know, as, as the chief judge, my primary new role is the oversight of the court unit um, executives. That's our chief probation officer and our chief clerk, and to ensure that the court operates uh, effectively. And this responsibility includes ensuring uh, that the laws and regulations and court policies are followed, that the needs of court employees are properly addressed, uh, and that administrative tasks were carried out. So uh, what I want to do, want us to do is to just be, uh, do things smarter and better. I I just want to pick one thing out of there because I'm curious about your thoughts here. And I know each judge kind of gets to run the court the way that they want to. Um, So I know that there'll be some room there. But what are your thoughts in terms of this remote? I I believe it's Judge Lynch, if I'm not mistaken, but one of the judges, she prefers to see the parties in person and get get a feel of where the case is at that initial pretrial conference, as opposed to waiting to we're kicking the can down the road later on. What are your thoughts there? And like I said, I understand each judge kind of can run the courtroom the way they want to. Right. I think that's perfectly fine, you know, (laughs) perfectly fine. And everybody's got to adapt to each judge's uh, preferences. Uh, In our criminal cases, I know that the uh, criminal bar and the, you know, they want to be in person. You know, they want to do their hearings in person. Uh, They want to look the judge in the eye when they're making these uh, uh, passionate pleas for leniency and sentencing. So I can understand that. And then our trials, our jury trials are need to be in person because, you know, I've had lawyers ask, judge, can we be remote? They want a jury trial, but they don't want to be here. I'm like, no, if we're going to bring in seven citizens, well, first of all, this panel, and then we're going to select seven persons to serve on your civil jury or 14 people to serve on your criminal jury. The criminal people haven't asked for that. This is on the civil side. I said, no, you can be here in person too. It's not, you're not going to have a judge and a jury sitting in the courtroom and everybody else. is Right. Exactly. Uh, but the but I've done some civil bench trials and I and I'm fi- perfectly fine with doing civil bench trials because it's just me and the lawyers and the witnesses. But I but jury trials need to be in person and there just really are 
occasions when, um, you know, the, the judges want to see the lawyers in person and some settlement conference person, some may continue to be virtual, but as things open up and as things get safer, um, you know, you're just going to have to do what the judges ask. Yeah. I <laughs> well, I think we have to do that anyway. <laughs> whatever you say, whatever you say. Yeah, uh, each judge to make their own decisions. How they, mm-hmm. everybody has that ability right now to to do things virtual, but you also have the ability to right. do things. And I appreciate the different perspectives as well. Um, the more that I learn, every every judge and the the nuances. I mean, there are reasons behind every decision. So. I, I can respect and I can understand that. And I'm so I'm here for the ride. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a little intel from you. <laughs> <just> no best. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to shift gears just a little bit back to more of what the what we kind of were talking about early in terms of advice. Uh, what advice would you give to young law students and attorneys? My first piece of advice would be to let them know that there is no typical lawyer. And that's the beauty of the legal profession. As we talked about earlier, you can do so many things with your law degree. Uh, And there are many professions within the legal profession. So to do what makes you happy. Um, And I would like to, I advise the women lawyers and the women law students in particular, especially Black women, uh, that we have to throw off the male definitions of success and craft our own definitions. Um, And for women, the challenges are often greater as they enter the legal profession. Women, we're going to always be the ones who have the babies and for the most part, take care of uh, the families. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even with the advancement of women's issues and today's protections against discrimination in the workplace, having our children often creates an uneven playing field. But having a life, as we, as we said, having a family and a life outside of your career is so important. Uh, and that creates other opportunities for choices that can improve our personal and professional life. Uh, so it forces us to create balance, which is a good thing. So I would advise uh, the young law students and young lawyers uh, that you've got to uh, keep in mind that you've got to keep this balance. Uh, and to succeed in the current environment and in this new reality, lawyers, especially women lawyers, uh, have to accept and try to understand the forces that are changing the legal profession because the legal profession is changing and you've got to be able to adapt to new challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so success can mean different things for different people. You can be a successful lawyer as a full time on the partnership track. Uh, But you can also be successful in a part time practice or in public service or public interest and or academia or in-house counsel, because the uh, the uh, different practice options allow for great flexibility. So you've got to just just slow down and take a look at what's best for you. And as we talked about earlier, it's not always about how much you make. It's about how much you keep. Right. (laughs) That's another piece of advice to live within your in your means. Um, And, you know, I know a lot of law students are going to come out with a lot of uh, debt, but use that school loan money wisely. You don't have to necessarily stay in the canal square across from the law school where the the rent is fifteen hundred a month. Right. You can. uh, So you've got to think of that from the beginning right now so that you don't come out of law school with huge amounts of debt, which will limit your 
uh, opportunities because if you come out with a lot of debt, you've got to most for the most part, you're going to be seeking a position with high pay, and that may not be what you want to do at this stage in your life. Um, so, live within your means so that when your opportunities arise, you can take advantage of your blessings. You'll be in a financial position to take advantage of your blessings and take the position that might start you out doing something that's not the high paying job and, and move on. And, and as we would have tons of applicants for these federal internships, the summer interns, but they're non-paying. We're all these government regulations. We can't pay anybody. Right. <laughs> regulations. And, and so, but our pool, our applicant pool has gotten really small. Uh, and I think a part of a big part of it is the economics of it. They need to they need to get paid in the summer yeah. employment. But these internships in the in the federal court system are so very valuable because, as I talked about, you know, you 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 get an opportunity to work with a federal judge. You get an opportunity to to write on substantive motions and do research on substantive issues that can range from a patent case, the copyright trademark. Yeah. Uh, civil rights cases, uh, uh, criminal cases. It's just a, a huge, diverse amount of type case types that you get to work on. So these are really, really great internships. So in the future, I know it's too late for this year, <laughs> but in the future for the law students that are listening, uh, take advantage of the opportunities to you know, sacrifice one summer and maybe do something in the evening <laughs> to yeah. make income, but to take advantage of uh, the opportunities in the in our federal court system to to do these internships. And I will say, I really, really wish I would have done that. Uh, it would have served me well. I, I if I had any regret, that's probably one of my only regrets, just not getting that type of experience. And I'm going to be honest, your point, you're spot on. I didn't find my Marcel and FAMU. So <laughs> My 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 entire thought process was like I gotta get paid. <laughs> like it's just me. I can't. <laughs> I, I, we don't have a two income household over here. So, <laughs> um, but my I wanted to be a criminal lawyer is what I thought I wanted to do. And I mean, a uh, a federal clerkship would have been perfect, and to to head down that that track. But I mean, early on, I was already thinking about that cost. I was already considering, okay, is this something that I can sustain for the next five to 10 years? 10 years if you want to get rid of your loans, you know? And um, I made the decision that that wasn't right for me. Um, and sometimes I wonder, should I have made a different decision? I'm I'm happy where I am. And no second. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I said, so, you know, I'm not going to say I would go back and change things, but it would have been nice to have that experience. So to your point, we... We tell our um, candidates now, hey, this isn't paid position because, you know, you're expected to accept it if, you, if you're chosen. Um, that's how we look at it. So I, I have seen a decline there. And I do think that that's a disservice to, to the law students, just for anyone listening on the fence about it. You know, as someone who could have made that decision, I, I probably would have done just a summer at the very least. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Here I am with Judge Pratt. So <laughs> I didn't do too bad. All students listening will uh, will in the future when you apply next year for the uh, yeah. diversity job fair to yes. come on up to the courthouse and interview for these federal internships because they often do lead to we often hire interns summer volunteer interns to become law clerks and the law clerk positions do pay very well 
and and a uh, federal clerkship is invaluable. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something based on a quote. Uh, Justice Felix Frankfurter wrote, "Wisdom too often never comes, and so one ought not to reject it merely because it comes late." I want to know what bit of wisdom, and I think this is perfect as we were just talking about this, what bit of wisdom, be it professional or personal, would you have liked to have known sooner? Maybe to uh, trust your instincts uh, above everything else. Uh, I spent a lot of time worrying about, well, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And should I do should I do this or go this that way or go that way? But just trust your instincts. And when opportunities arise and if you feel, hey, this is what I want to do. I was a public defender and, uh, you know, it, it was fine because you weren't making a lot of money, but I got invaluable trial experience. It's because I was in a major felony court. So I was doing criminal trials. I was doing trials on murders. I was a, a criminal lawyer on a on a death penalty case, on a capital case. So you get this invaluable trial experience um, from, from a position like a public defender position, which again, is not a high paying position. Again, you're not chasing the money. Uh, and then I would have been happy to stay as the probate judge in Marion County, because that was a great position. You know, it's the happiest place in the federal courthouse. The uh, non-contested adoptions were just wonderful. Uh, but then when the opportunity for the federal judgeship came, my instinct was, you know, you know, my first instinct was, well, I've, I've never even practiced in federal court other than when I did some bankruptcies in the very beginning of my career. Uh, and I hadn't even been in the federal building other than when it, t- when it was still the post office. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you take that leap of faith when uh, when this opportunity is out there, you follow your instincts and, uh, you know, you can that's that's the only way that you can. Uh, that, that this is one of the major ways that great things can happen for you when you just trust your instincts and go out there on that leap of faith and uh, and apply for opportunities. And you don't always get what you, you know, if the first time you apply for something, you may not succeed because I, you know, I had to apply once for the uh Indiana Supreme Court. It was the position that Justice Rucker got. I made the first cut, uh, but then I didn't make the second cut. And I was like, dang it. But Justice Rucker was so very qualified for that position. Uh, and, and that was his position. And that's and things happen for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think now that I, that I, that I trust my instincts 100 percent. And then and it's, and it's OK to spend time in your comfort zone It's something else that I learned. Your comfort zone is a place or situation where you feel confident and comfortable. And I know we always tell each, tell each other to do things outside of your comfort zone. But every now and then it's, it's OK to stay in that comfort zone um, and and. And just to, you know, to to be embraced, which was my experiences at the HBCU and I'm sure with you also. Um, so those are some of the that I wish I had known. Now, um, I, I'll wrap it up here. I know you you have a very packed schedule and I've already kept you a little bit over our time slotted. But I do want to know to that point, the legal profession is essentially our lives. It becomes our lives. Um, so I'm interested to know what do you do to decompress? Well, the main thing I like to do, I love to spend time with with my family uh, because I am. You love that husband. I love it. (laughs) But I really love my grandchildren. (laughs) Lena's a a lawyer. She's been a lawyer about almost five years now. And she's got uh, two kids. I have a grandson who will be four and a granddaughter who will be two. So just spending time with with my family 
And uh, once it's very decompressing to me. And then another thing that I really enjoy, I enjoy gardening. I enjoy uh, uh, reading, but I really enjoy genealogy. And uh, as an African-American woman, as a black woman, I am so proud of my ancestors and everything they accomplished, which I think is what's allowed me to become who I am today. Um, and it's, it's difficult to celebrate your accomplishments without knowing where you came from. And for, for Black people in America, we don't know. Uh, and it's difficult to trace. But I've been able to trace back to um, my maternal great-grandparents who were enslaved and they were born in Georgia where well, they lived in Georgia. I don't know where they were born, but because they didn't have birth certificates, but uh, it's just very, it's a, a challenging and wonderful hobby and uh, very. That is bad. so unique. <laughs> that is so unique. I might, I might need to put you on mine. <laughs> I'd like to know this. I would love to know this. I think that's a great way to end it. I thank you so much for joining me on Off the Record. It was a pleasure having you. And I hope that you accomplish many great things in in your tenure. And I'm sure it will be long and flourishing. And I'm excited to see you grow. Thank you so much, Judge Brad. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Best wishes to you also. 